This is the third and last part in the series on neural machine translation. We've learned how the technology works and how it's advancing, and today we're looking at more practical issues. Welcome to Globally Speaking, your program that explores everything and anything to do with language localization. Are you ready to dive into the most critical issues impacting global brands today? Globally Speaking is designed to educate, inform, and challenge everyone who's engaged in global communications. Your hosts for Globally Speaking are Renato Beninato and Michael Stevens. Learn more by visiting our website at www.globallyspeakingradio.com. And now, here are Renato and Michael. I am Renato Beninato. And I am Michael Stevens. Renato, I know one of your pet peeves is the automatic response that translators and LSPs have when there's the topic of machine translation brought up. You get really angry when these people say that they don't use the technology because of confidentiality. Well, don't get me started, Michael. What really irritates me is that this is like an automatic reaction. Nobody thinks about the real implications. It's just one of those things that people repeat over and over and over again. And when you challenge them, they don't know why they do it. They don't know what is behind this resistance. So before we get deeper into the discussion of the implications of neural MT, I thought it would be good to talk to someone who has done his homework and looked into the issue from the perspective of the professional translator. So my name is Joost Setsche. I am an English to German translator. I am interested in translation technology. And for that purpose, I write a newsletter that comes out about once a month It's called The Translator's Toolbox. And I wrote a book about translation technology as well, an ebook that is available online. Myself, I'm very untechnical. I'm just really interested in finding ways to make my translation work more productive. I think confidentiality in itself is something that you need to look at and you need to take serious because your your clients take confidentiality serious. You have contracts with your clients that forbid you to do certain things or that make you want to follow certain rules as far as confidentiality goes. But I think what's happening, especially with the generic online machine translation programs such as Google Translate or Microsoft Bing Translator, is that most of us have actually never looked into the details what confidentiality means when the data is being transferred to Google. And I'm talking about Google specifically now. So in Google, in Google's case, what's happening is that if you go to their website to translate.google.com and punch in a sentence there and, and get a translation, now that data might actually be used by Google, not in a translation memory kind of way, but it might be used for any kind of purpose. That, that's what Google is saying in their contract with you. But if you use Google Translate through an API, that means if you use Trados or Deja Vu or Across or whatever kind of tool you're using and you connect to the machine translation engine through your translation environment tool, then in the case of Google, Google is specifically saying we are not going to use that data. That you know makes it very clear. And so that is something I think that is not particularly well known. And there's I, I used the, the term scaremongering in my last newsletter when I talked about that. I think that that fear that translators have to use 
Google Translate in particular is sort of being used by other people in the market to sort of, you know, make them believe that it is indeed not confidential if you use Google Translate in any kind of way. And so you, you shouldn't use it. And, and that's not just not quite correct. And Chris went from Microsoft, who was with us in the last episode. He also had something to say on this topic. So those are the people who send their translation jobs to their supplier via Gmail. Even if somebody like Google or Microsoft or one of the bigger providers wanted wanted to, uh, how would we find any relevant information in this? <laughs> so number one, we don't, we don't want to, right? We don't really care about what people translate. We care about us providing a good job, a good job at doing it, maybe better than, than our competitors would do that. So, I mean, I'm, I'm talking about Microsoft here. By, by default, we use a, a small portion of the translation traffic for quality improvement. We take a random set of sentences from all of the traffic that we translate, which is many billions of words every day. We take a small sliver of it and use it for quality uh, improvement. Basically, we add it to our test set so that we can hill climb on what people actually translate. So that's our interest. And that's our only interest. From all those billions, billions of words, we can't track it to the individual originator. Right? Mm -hmm. Generally, we don't know who the customer is. Right? If you say subscribe to the translator API, you enter your name and your credit card somewhere on the billing and provisioning end, which is completely separate mm -hmm. from the from the provider end, right? And that is intentionally designed that way, right? Because that's PII, which is secured even even within within the company. Right. So even if I wanted to find find out who that who that originator is, I couldn't. You don't have a bunch of people in India and China just going through all the translation segments that go through Microsoft Translator, trying to identify company secrets and medical advances and new patents and things like that that you can extract and reuse and sell it in the black market. <laughs> Clearly, we don't. <laughs> we, just like any company of this size, has a strict regimen on what data can be shared with whom, even company internally. So, say, we wouldn't be allowed to share any data even if we had, if we, if, if we knew about it, say, from a gaming company with the Xbox division, right? We could. Yeah. Number one, we wouldn't know that it is a gaming company which had submitted that particular translation. And our internal data protection prevents us from sharing data with, with really anybody except for the stated purposes that we provide in our privacy statement, which is to improve Microsoft Translator. Plus, we also offer, and, and I don't really know about the competitors here, we also offer what we call a no-trace option, that there is no log created of oh, anything. Right? Okay. So there's no, there's no permanent record of anything you translated that is limited to people who have a paid subscription. Very good. And it's, it's a 
common and it makes sense as a trade-off. If you want it for free, you contribute for the improvement. If you want to pay, you have your privacy. But even if you don't opt into that, the chance that your material ends up anywhere else is really close to zero and there's no known case where that happened with as far as i know with either i mean i know certainly not for us i haven't heard of google doing when you talk to the detractors of machine translation they will often come with this issues what what about the problem you can be sued your company can be sued for breach of confidentiality and i say give me one case that you know of a company that was sued because of breach of confidentiality and i haven't found any in 30 years in this business (laughs) So at, at Microsoft, we had a couple of cases where, a, say, a confidential product or confidential version leaked, say, screenshots of a, of a non-release product leaked due to uh, human translators. So we have evidence of that. Yes. Uh, uh, of that happening. I mean, the other question that you can ask, where do you have your data now? Is it on some server in your basement? Is it at your language service provider? What kind of security did you apply against, say, hacking on your account? So now that we've taken privacy and confidentiality out of the way, and translators can feel confident using machine translation as a productivity tool, what's next? Well, Michael, I think that the big question is how NeuralMT will be used. Today, it is mostly an academic exercise with some deployments by Google, Microsoft, Baidu, and most recently, Naver in Korea. But you had an insightful conversation with someone who looks at machine translation from all angles. I'm Olga Bregava. I manage technology solutions at Willocalize, one of the largest LSPs in the world. And I'm also president of American Association of Machine Translation. Awesome. What does the president of the Association for Machine Translation in the Americas do? Well, it's mostly about organizing events and keeping the visibility of machine translation in the Americas at a high level. Well, keeping the, vis- keeping the visibility high and making sure that there is awareness of the field. It's reaching out to academia. It's maintaining our website. It's making sure that there are publications in the field that are accessible from our website. And it's most definitely working on organizing the conferences in the field. Awesome. And so you're connecting the commercial side to the academic side, making sure there's strong conversations happening. Yeah, it's essential that the commercial side and the academic side are talking to each other. There is a lot of amazing research coming out of academia, but I think it's also important, and I've spoken about it at a couple of events, I think it's also important that the academia gets input from the commercial users and understands what's important for the commercial users at the moment, which areas are of utmost interest and which areas matter most, because obviously academia would be very capable of helping the commercial users and helping driving the commercial adoption if, I believe, if they get the proper input from us commercial users and us commercial developers. Mm. So I think it's very synergistic, and I think it's very important that the dialogue is ongoing, and the same applies to government users. Again, government users obviously need to be in touch with both academia and commercial users because the three can learn a lot from each other. Mm -hmm. And at some point in your career, you even 
Were you CEO or did you own your own machine translation uh, company? Yes, I was actually a CEO of PrimeT or Prompt, however you want to pronounce it, a machine translation company run out of Russia. I was CEO of their U.S. commercial division and I was driving development of their commercial enterprise server product and I was driving the adoption of this product in the Americas. Yes, that was that was a part of my career dedicated to that. So you've got a number of years of experience and various experience in different groups. These recent announcements related to the neural net, neural machine translation, how does this rank in significance of all time, in your opinion? Well, based on the results that we're witnessing, it is a significant breakthrough. It's definitely, I think, very similar to what happened when phrase-based statistical machine translation was introduced and the breakthrough that it signified compared to what was available, the results that were available from rule-based machine translation. So I think in order of significance, it's either similar or maybe even more significant because the results that we're seeing are pretty amazing in terms of fluency and in terms of how natural machine translation sounds. So I think I think there was a breakthrough when statistical machine translation was introduced in early 2000s. And I think now we're witnessing equally significant or maybe even more significant breakthrough. That's awesome. Yeah, it is. It is pretty impressive. And I've been following comparative studies of neural machine translation at the way it stacks up against current state-of-the-art statistical machine translation systems. And while I would not support the claims that machine translation with introduction of neural MT is now on par with human translation, I still think that that's an overstatement. And I still think that there are ways to go. We definitely are witnessing significant improvements in the way machine translation is performing. As you can see, progress exists and it's fast. What we need to talk about now is what this will mean for the human translators. Even if we want to, humans wouldn't be able to translate all that there is to translate. So machine translation, neural or not, is a reality that is here to stay. And I like what Mike Dillinger, who was in our first episode, he works with MT at LinkedIn. And when we were talking about this, he reminded us of one of his presentations at a conference. So when I talked about the old, in this talk, when I talked about old assumptions, new assumptions, what I was trying to say was, you know, the old assumption is that the MT researcher's main goal is to produce an autonomous translation machine that can do something or maybe everything really well without humans. And under the new assumption, what I call the new assumption, we could be working more like the people who develop systems for pilots, you know, fly-by-wire systems, where the main goal is not to create drones. The main goal is to allow pilots to fly more safely, ever more complex airplanes. Well, this seems to fit very well with the idea that language is dynamic and is constantly changing and defeats one of the main resistance arguments that linguists have is that the, the machine translation cannot replace the human. So you, you believe that MT, even neural MT, is more of a support tool than an end in itself. That's how I think we should be treating it. So if the example I like to give is the automotive industry, it took us more than 100 years to start working on self-driving cars. 
up until then, we had these machines that humans had to drive. I think we should approach MT the same way. So this would be more of an advance from going from a manual transmission to an automatic transmission. The neural MT stuff? Yeah. Yeah, that remains to be seen. So, so far, neural MT has given us essentially what I see to be incremental improvements. It's a shiny new technology that holds promise for other kinds of improvements. But so far, we've seen the incremental kinds of things. So, so do you think that neural MT is something that is here to stay, that it's already proven that that's the way to go? Or is this going to be a new fad like crowdsourcing was 10 years ago, that everybody talked about it, everybody wanted it, and then all of a sudden it's not a viable model for translation, at least? Uh, no, MT is here to stay. Um, it's a really significant technical advance. One of the things that's interesting about it is that it takes much more of the context into consideration than phrase-based MT. And that's essentially where I think most of the improvements we see come from. So, for example, in neural-based MT, we see much better agreement, noun-verb agreement, for example, even when they're split up in different parts of the sentence. And I think that's mostly because neural MT, to compute the translation, takes into consideration the whole context of the sentence and sometimes the context of the paragraph or document. This ties in well with what Olga was telling us about the commercial application of neural MT and what it means for post-editing. For instance, you can see that neural machine translation output is still weaker on the terminology, and it's pretty... It definitely needs work when it gets to handling unknown words. It's not doing it that great. So when we talk about, when we think about commercial application of neural machine translation, I would still be very cautious. Mm -hmm. Commercial, when I say commercial, I mean adoption of neural machine translation by large enterprises that are currently are machine translation users. I'd be very cautious because their post editors might have challenges with post editing for adequacy and they might be easily misled by the fluency of the output. Mm. When the editors are challenged, does that mean less efficiency? What does that mean in the actual work that they're doing? I wouldn't say it's less efficiency. Probably the fluency of neural MT output is going to help editors edit faster, mm -hmm. but I'd be cautious around the accuracy of their final output. When you are looking at something that's very fluent, that sounds near, well, not near human translation, but that sounds very natural and fluent, you might not be paying attention to details. So I would imagine that post editors might miss certain accuracy details because the translation is so readable. They might miss a term or they might miss a mistranslation because they could be misled by how fluent the output is. So I don't think we're talking about less productivity, but I think to post-edit neural machine translation will require a slightly different skill set than post-editing statistical machine translation, just like post-editing statistical machine translation is different from post-editing rule-based machine translation because you're looking for different things and you're looking, you're dealing with different patterns. Yeah. Yeah, that, that's a big distinction and a good one to highlight because I remember initially people would talk about translators doing post-editing years and years ago. And it was a big step forward when you started saying, no, we're having editors do that work. And now it looks like another step forward with the editors are actually working on. That's helpful. Do you see any changes between the buyer and supplier relationship 
you mentioned caution, but do you see how neural MT may impact that? Buyer and supplier relationship. Well, I would imagine, again, if neural machine translation, if the unknown terminology issue is resolved, and if the adequacy issue is resolved, I would imagine that the quality is going to get higher. And we definitely see that the quality in the quality is getting higher. So I think what's going to happen is there will be a certain expectation on the buyer side that pricing will be revised and they will probably expect innovative pricing models around neural machine translation just based on the fact, fact that the empty quality is improving. So I would expect that the buyer understanding that the post editor is dealing with a significantly better output, I would imagine that the buyer would want to see higher discounts or, as I said, different pricing models that take into consideration the quality of machine translation. Do you see perhaps new use cases for buyers? I think that publishing, I think that buyers are being cautious around publishing raw machine translation output because of the quality, because there is a certain mistrust towards the quality of machine translation output. And I think that what's going to happen is the adoption of raw machine translation for cross-country sailing or for publishing knowledge bases or for publishing basically any content that could be published as raw machine translation now and is not getting published because... There is, as I said, there is certain mistrust towards the quality of the machine translation output. I'd expect that there'll be a lot more adoption of raw machine translation. Mm, Cool. The post-editing business case is not going away. The post-editing is going to be there. Probably the edit distance, as I said, is going to be shrinking because the quality of machine translation output is is going to be higher. But I still don't see, again, I don't see neural machine translation hitting the levels of human translation. So machine translation with post-editing is still going to be a line of business. And it's going to be, it's going to stay, stay such for a while. But there will be other use cases added because of the quality. Michael, we have heard from a lot of people for this podcast series. What are our main takeaways? Well, for me, Renato, there are two things that stood out from the conversation. First, statistical MT and phrase-based MT systems have pretty much peaked. Adding more parallel content and rules to these systems are going to really get little, very little gains to the current performance. And what was the second? Well, the second was the fact that even though neural networks have made significant advances in image and voice recognition, there's still some way to go before they master translation, which really is the most difficult challenge for artificial intelligence. Well, computers have managed to beat humans on interpreting x-rays, playing chess, the Chinese game of Go, and more recently, poker. But they have yet to beat professional translators. That's encouraging. (laughs) It is. It is. And what about you, Renato? What what did you learn from this time? Well, I'm always learning, but I like the concept of the human and the machine working together and the fact that translators and the developers can spend more time on activities that create value instead of performing repetitive tasks. I have always been a proponent of automating what is boring. <laughs> what is boring. So so with that in mind, and how do we come to some kind of end or conclusion for this series? Let's end it on a hopeful note for the time being at least. We're recording this podcast in February 2017. This month, 
organized by a university, a group of four professional translators competed against three neural MT programs provided by Google, uh, South Korea's top internet provider, Naver, and Sistran International. And what happened in this competition? Well, both sides were tasked with translating random English articles, literature and non-literature, into Korean and other Korean articles into English. A total of 50 minutes were given to translate the text, and the translator works were then evaluated by two professional translators. Of course, it took seconds for the MT systems to translate it, so they definitely beat the humans on delivery time. Of course, yes. But in blind evaluations, the organizers said that the four professional translators scored an average of 25 out of 30 in translating Korean into English, while the MT software scored between 10 and 15. So today, as the technology stands, humans are still much better than the machine. Yes. The judges said that the machine was unable to understand context and generated sentences that were grammatically awkward. So that's the status of neural machine translation in February 2017. Maybe we need to revisit this topic in three or four years, or who knows, maybe even less. Well, at the speed that things are going, who knows? Globally Speaking Radio is produced by Burns360. You can subscribe to Globally Speaking on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. You should also check out our archives at globallyspeakingradio.com, which has every past episode, including transcripts. You can follow us on Twitter and on Facebook, and feel free to share ideas for shows with us. Thanks for listening. Thank you for listening to Globally Speaking, brought to you by Moravia. We'd like to hear your comments, suggestions, and feedback. So until next time, please visit online at www.globallyspeakingradio.com.